Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be the host for the next hour here on the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you're tuning in for the first time, this show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in both those ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense. The word talent has those two different meanings in the business world. And this show looks to really explore and go in depth into those areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from all types of industries. When I'm out at networking events, industry conferences, and CEO roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and learn something practical and get some great advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live today. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet uh, your questions to at peopleg2 hashtag talent talk. My producer Mike will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can also listen to our show via the podcast on iTunes and Android, as well as subscribe to hear the weekly show sent to you. We've uh, amassed a huge following so far, and we're very, very proud of that. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests today are Shelly Steckrell, co-founder of the Sourcing Institute, and Jerry Justice, CEO and founder of the Aspirations Institute. Apparently, it's a show of institutes um, today. So Jerry will be joining me on the second half of the show. But let me get into my first guest. Uh, Shelly, welcome to our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. So tell us about yourself, uh, a little bit about your background, and of course your your company uh, for SCT and uh, the Sourcing Institute. Right, the Sourcing Institute. Well, uh, as far as a little bit about myself, I've been in the industry for, gosh, since uh, 1996, and I have worked with over 300 companies on building their sourcing teams and optimizing sourcing and recruiting. Um, and I wrote a book, the, actually the first textbook of its kind, which is a, uh, a book that's used as a class textbook at Temple University on sourcing and recruiting as a whole. It's the only time that topic has been kind of treated from beginning to, you know, beginning to end all the way through. It's like 500 pages. So, um, a little bit about myself. I'm an RPCV, a return Peace Corps volunteer. And I actually grew up in Colombia, South America, so English is a second language to me. Wow. Where were you in the uh, Peace Corps? I was in Nicaragua in 1994. I that's quite a quite a, an adventure to go on. I know some people that have done that and have really, really enjoyed it, and it's been hugely impactful for them. Yeah, it was definitely interesting in 1994, I can tell you that. We were the second <laughs> back after the counter-revolution. Right. Yeah, that's some scary stuff. And you also mentioned uh, you know, you've got a textbook in and, and really covering a heavily a topic and at Temple University. That that's, that's exciting. Yeah, that's that's a great opportunity to really kind of grow our industry. It's the first time it's ever been done. It's a semester long course focusing exclusively on recruitment as part of an HRM degree or HR management, human resources management degree. So it's the first three credit hour, I guess, full credit course dedicated to just that. And I teach that once a year to capstone students. Those are the ones that are on their way to graduate that semester or the following semester. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, one of your, your key focuses is to help companies reach what might be considered that unreachable talent, is it correct? Right. Yeah, and so can, maybe you can talk a little bit about the process of what sort of insights you offer a company looking to, to kind of achieve this. Well, um, you know, we have uh, quite a bit of material. Now we actually have 75 e-learning courses that answer that question. So summarizing <laughs> it, 
um, in such a brief in such a brief instance may be a little bit challenging for me. But I I look at it in four different perspectives, four major uh, sets or groups of activity. The strategic, which is defining what you're looking for. In other words, where is my talent pool? Where where do the kind of people that I want to recruit actually hang out, whether it's online or in person? What do they read? What do they pay attention to? That's the definition. So what are we, what are we looking for and what do we need and where are they? Um, then there's the, let's just call it operational, which has to do with both the attract and the find piece. Those are the other two of the four. Uh, the attraction, of course, is what you ever, what everybody really knows about marketing, especially for recruitment marketing. It's advertising, it's social marketing, it's all the different ways in which we position our employment brand and our company and our, and our job opportunities. And then the finding side is what a lot of people usually associate with the Sourcing Institute, which is the search techniques. How to identify the talent pools, where are the talent pools, search techniques to actually find them and develop them. But I think of both of those, the attraction and the finding, as the same level, if you will. So I don't make a distinction between the two of them because I think a sourcer, when they're out there looking for the talent pools, is really in the best position to engage with the talent pool and, and participate in the community because they're the ones that are doing the research. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, imagine if I did all the scouting and then sent you on the field trip. So, you know, I, I sort of see those two hand in hand. And then the fourth component is what I would consider the engagement piece, and that's where the rubber meets the, the road, you know, the tactical, um, actually having a conversation with, whether it's online or via chat or email or on the phone, having a conversation with the talent that is to become a candidate or an applicant. So what I would advise is that most companies tend to either do really well in the attraction piece or in the engagement piece, but most companies that I work with, especially the ones that are you know, spending money, if you will, on solving this problem, the biggest problem that they have is that they fail to define it up front or they don't spend enough time or focus or enough energy or resources on the fine piece. So what I'm saying is that uh, a lot of companies are really good at attracting talent, and a lot of companies are really good at engaging talent. Some companies are good at attracting and engaging, but very few are good at defining the strategy, and even fewer are good at identifying that talent. So would you say that this for your the Sourcing Institute is the goal of the organization then to really help them uh, be good at what they're not doing well, or is it for them to be more well-rounded? Or, you know, what do you think that, that, that goal is? When we go in and work with a large employer that has a team of recruiters, the first thing that we do is we conduct an assessment or a diagnostic, and based on that, we then recommend a curriculum from our curriculum map. So we usually are advising them on the courses to take that would map best to their current weaknesses and opportunities. In other words, we're kind of... Uh, we, we don't want to teach them the things that they already know how to do. We don't want to make them, you know, experts at what they are already great at. That doesn't make any sense, and that's not a good use of time, especially in today's really busy recruiting environment. So what we do is we look at where the gaps are, and we try to overcome those with education. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yes, we do assess those gaps and very often end up with a customized curriculum map. But a lot of companies do come to us and say, you know what? Uh, we have a bunch of people that we want to train to be recruiters, and let's just start from ground zero. Nothing. Right. You know, they have no experience. You know, let's start with day one. This is recruiting. And we do that as well. That also is a major reason why I wrote the textbook, because there wasn't anything that you could sit down and say at the very beginning, this is recruiting, this is sourcing, here's how you become a recruiter, here's what you need to do, and here's how you measure success. It mm-hmm. never existed before. So you, you've had many positions over the years in recruiting and talent development. You know, from some of the more notable companies, Hewlett Packard and Lockheed Martin, GE and Boeing. What are a couple of the things that you can identify from those experiences that really helped you to form your own leadership style today? Working remotely, uh, working with virtual teams and managing virtual teams. First, uh, you know, at the beginning, it was being part of a remote workforce. I had the honor and the pleasure of working at Cisco 
when at the turn of the millennia, the last, not just the last century, but the last millennium, when um, you know we had just plugged in the internet and, and put fresh batteries in it and started booting it up right. in 1999 to 2000, uh, I was part of a team that was one of the first and certainly one of the few totally virtual teams in the recruitment space. In other words, it was a distributed workforce. Now, I know there's a few others out there, but many of them had a corporate HQ somewhere and then had some remote employees. We didn't have a single person that was, you know, part of any, basically everybody worked from home. And so I started out as a remote employee at the company where you live, learn, and play online. That was their logo or their, their tagline in 1999. So I think that affected I affected my leadership greatly in that I'm much better today able to work with disparate remote teams that are in different locations with different cultures because I've kind of learned through the school of hard knocks over, you know, 14 years being in the trenches as a, as a remote person myself and managing the remote teams. You know, I got to tell you, that's, that's tomorrow's business skill, being able to collaborate with a bunch of experts from all parts of the globe, many of whom don't even work for the same company, but you all have one single, you know, task or goal in mind. That's a that's a new kind of business environment that we haven't really studied a lot. So that's, yeah, I think that and, the, be and there's been one. some recent examples in the news, you know, with Yahoo's CEO pulling in all of their remote people back inside, or and whether that was really uh, a knock against remote, or that was just a way for them to, you know, thin out some positions or not uh that's a little bit up up in the air but you know i think you're right um having we my company is in a remote environment a lot of the other companies that we've modeled ourselves after that we work closely with are have remote environments whether partially or full and i think that having that uh ability as as our kind of the, the lines between our countries, between states, between, you know, language start to blur. You need to have those abilities to be able to communicate and be successful with people from anywhere in the world, right? Absolutely. You know, when I started, there was a survey that said, I think it was from the Labor Department, Bureau of Labor Statistics, it said there was about 14 million people in the United States who had some sort of work-from-home Responsibility that tele, they called them telecommuters. So they, they had an office, but could, you know, could take a day off or two from the office, but log in from home. And now I'm reading something in the vicinity, some of the research from Forrester says that it's going to be about 63 million by the year 2016. So in two years, we're going to go from, you know, the 14 million, uh, so-called telecommuters, probably most of whom were just telecommuting for a day or two. To you know, 63 million. Um, that's it, it's not you know, remote working is not going to go away. And the other thing I would add to that is, it's not just about remote working; it's also about the contingent workforce. A lot of teams are comprised of specialists that are independent contractors. In my company now, half of my staff is full time; the other half are specialists in their fields, and we call them as needed. Some we have retainers with, some we have hourly billing agreements with, but we only bring them in when we need to. The rest of the time, they have 14 other clients, and we're quite happy with that because we spend less money on it, mm-hmm. and we get a much higher quality result because they're being brought in just for that. So, you know, it's the remote worker plus the contingent sort of independent subject matter expert together. That's that population. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of, you know, specialization and really leveraging that uh, unique talents of people, whether they're they're full-time or whether they're for projects or part-time. Um, I think that's that really is a lot about what we talk about on this show, which is people doing what they're really good at, what they love, um, and if there's opportunities for them to maybe help several companies and just do what they're really, really good at instead of maybe going and having a full-time job with one firm, where they're going to do partially what they like and the other part put up with a whole bunch of other stuff that they don't really want to do because it fills a job title or something. I, I kind of see that as maybe being, I'm almost envisioning at some point, would we have a majority of our workforce be independent contractors? You know, Are they going to be independents or are we going to continue to have this mix? That lends itself really, really good to our industry. I mean, you know, look at some of the numbers. We have 93 million people in the United States actively using LinkedIn. So there's, let's say, 93 million U.S.-based LinkedIn users. 225,000 of those are recruiters. 
Mm-hmm. And if you go to some of the job boards, uh, Indeed and Simply Hiring and places like that, you'll see 75,000 currently posted jobs for recruiters. And recruiting is a job that lends itself really well to travel and remote working. In fact, um, according to uh, some research I've been reading, the recruiter job title is the number one most in-demand HR job. In fact, they would, see, they would even say that sourcing is the second most in demand. So I don't know what the difference between recruiter and sourcer is, according to the people that write these articles. But they're talking about recruiting and sourcing and, and this combination of, you know, uh, what, where we're headed with where it doesn't matter where the talent comes from. Sourcing is a global thing. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, in Atlanta. You could be sourcing in China for all that matters. So I think it's a, it, the, the potential for our industry to be really in the leading edge of the work from home, virtual, you know, telecommuting space is awesome. Yeah. And switching gears a little bit, you know, from your position and being a top, top executive in your company, you know, what do you feel are the most important things you really want people in your own organization to know about, you know, success and utilizing their own personal talents to the fullest? I think that it's, I would say never stop learning, never stop growing. We tend to be, people tend to be afraid of making mistakes because they don't want to come across as, you know, sometimes they associate the mistake with, with failure. But I would say my biggest, my biggest push or philosophical angle on this would be make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with, with making a mistake. Integrity doesn't have anything to do with doing what you said you were going to do. It's about doing everything you possibly can, everything within your power to do what you said you were going to do. So if you thought you were going to do this and you said you were going to do this and you tried your best at doing this and you made a mistake, that's fine. A lot of people just don't go that extra whatever because they don't want to make a mistake and they end up, quote, unquote, passing the buck. So I would say that would be my number one, you know, um, screw up already, would you? You know, right. just make mistakes. <laughs> well, and, and kind of that, Working on yourself and improving, and, and you know, allowing yourself to make mistakes is a really big part of uh, of, of becoming a better person. Of, you know, working hard and and developing yourself. So, was there a specific skill or technique that you think maybe really contributes to your role now, but you had to kind of work on over time? And maybe how did you get there? Well, I was never I was never afraid of making mistakes because I've always adhered to the philosophy that you know if I give it my best shot. You know, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. Now, if I, if I could do better, then show me. So I'm always open to learn. So those two things combined, you know, the, the lack of uh, fear of making mistakes and the, the audacity to go out there and, and sort of take those risks combined with, uh, you know, the humility of, hey, okay, so, so that didn't work out well. Um, how can I improve? Those two things uh, are, are what contributed. So I would say, I guess going back to, that's a, it's a tough question. Um, <laughs> kind of an introspective kind of question. Yeah, yeah. That's why um, we ask it. <laughs> I think the ability to nurture that in others. Okay. Be my answer. So allow others to, to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Not allow as in like, don't say, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, hey, Shelly thinks everybody who screws up is, you know, it's fine. Not, not that. It's just give, give them the room to, to try to, to, Put the risk out there and take a chance. A great part of what I do in research and what makes the Sourcing Institute such a great brand is that we're always continuing to experiment and test the limits of everything that we come across when it comes to identifying talent. So whatever tool is out there that emerges for any other industry, we'll take a deep dive into it and try to figure out if we can use it in our industry. Why? Because, well, Partly because that's what we get paid to do. In other words, people come to us for that knowledge, so we have to get it somewhere. And, you know, research and experimentation is where we get it. But the other part of it is if I'm not constantly pushing that envelope, the, the, the talent that we're looking for is going to go away. You know, th- things move very quickly, much quicker now than they did before. Go back to the days with, you know, the online career center and hithunter.net. It was years before they got gobbled up by brands, and eventually, before you know it, right. you know, there was a monster and career builder. Now there's LinkedIn, and the LinkedIn sort of bubble, you know, came and went much quicker than the monster bubble. But where's the talent going? People crowded Facebook, and now they're leaving Facebook. Where are they going? If you don't know where people are going, 
then you will fail in your search for talent because you can't just keep going to the same well you've always been going to. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, certainly in that uh, in that vein of, of always trying to learn and, 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 and see what the next trends are, typically people on this show can give us some great answers to this next question. It's one of our favorites, and that is, you know, what are you reading right now? Um, so I, I actually had a copy of Ken Blanchard and Mark Miller's um, Great Leaders Grow, that totally not a plant, by the way, for this topic at all, just, just serendipity. I had a copy sitting around um, someone gave to me some time ago, and I, and I hadn't opened it up. And it's just a few days ago I started opening it and, you know, haven't kind of put it down since then. It's, I, I'm quickly going through it. It's Great Leaders Grow. Great Leaders Grow. Leader for Life which is um, Blanchard and Miller. And it's a book about, you know, uh, I, I think making mistakes and, and growing and learning from your experiences and continuously pushing the limits. I think it's a fantastic title, especially for those people uh, listening to the show. We, we talk about this theme a lot, that you have to be brave enough to grow, you have to be brave enough to make mistakes, and you have to be brave enough to say, I'm not good in this area, I'm good in this, maybe I'm in another area, and... And how do you deal with that? You know, do you, do you try to improve yourself, or are you smart enough, in my opinion, to get somebody else to handle the stuff that you're really bad at, and just overly focus on the things that you're great at, to to really drive your business and drive your success? Well, that's an interesting point. So, what you don't do well, uh, yes, of course, if it's not core, outsource it. But I think part of what I haven't finished reading the book, but part of what I really connected with in this book is that the, the path to increase that influence and impact and the path for personal growth has to do with taking on those challenges of those very things that you just identified are the things that we don't do well. So in other words, um, kind of what they're saying in the book is once you're there, once you're, once you're king of the hill for that particular whatever it is, you're the CEO of the company, you're the you know chief bottle washer, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're head zookeeper, whatever it is, you, you, arrive, you arrive at that place. If you sit there on your laurels, somebody else is going to come around and eat your lunch. Mm-hmm. So what they're saying is that once you arrive at that pinnacle position, find another hill to climb. Great, you did it once, now do it again, and this time do it in something you don't know anything about. Right. Yeah, I think the the slight difference is do you, but you do something or climb another hill where you're going to be very good at that, right? It might be if you're if you're a natural leader, or you're a natural connector, or networker, or whatever, you can go a different area and still do those things you're really great at. But you know, if you're if you're pretty terrible at maybe communicating, or maybe you're pretty terrible at sending out you know, writing a written blog or something, those are things that maybe you can give to somebody else and outsource to yeah you know, to be to, to still be a success. You don't spend three weeks trying to write a blog post that you're no good at when you could just tell someone what you wanted to write and they were really good at writing it. And it gets done. Absolutely. In, uh, so that's the outsourcing piece, you know, right. outsource what, what isn't core. You know, if you're not a journalist whose job depends on writing good blog posts, then yeah, absolutely. But what I'm saying is think of, you know, you've, you've achieved excellence in a particular discipline. I think it's easy to just kick back and, and, and stay in that space. And I see a lot of careers get destroyed because of that. Uh, people just sort of kick back and, and take a back seat because they, quote, unquote, arrived, but haven't continued to stretch. So I think today in this environment where we have the contingent workforce, where we have the remote workers, where it's, you know people from disparate teams coming together for one particular goal, I think the need to keep going as as stressful as that is, um, and you know the sad news is that that doesn't that doesn't mean that you get a vacation. So um, yeah. you're going to have to figure out a way to plan your vacation around your next career. But you can't stop anymore like you used to be able to. You know you work hard for 20 years then stop. That doesn't, no. now it's it's kind of like you're you're always at work. You're always at play. I'm always working. I've always got my iPad or my iPhone with me or my laptop, and I'm enjoying life and doing all kinds of things. But that's part of the beauty of being a remote worker is I can still get all of my work done and then some, and people don't need to know that I'm at the playground. It doesn't matter. If I can dedicate 20 minutes to writing the email that I need to write, it doesn't matter where I'm writing that email from. Mm-hmm. And it's my life quality that makes it possible for me to spend the rest of that hour with my children at the playground and only take 20 minutes out of that hour instead of having to stay at the office all day, all week. Right, right. Now, I think companies get a huge amount of benefit from workers that are 
kind of always in that mix of working and playing and, you know, kind of going back and forth because they're doing it all day long. You know, while, while they're awake, they're always kind of bouncing back and forth. And I think in the end, companies, you know, if they have good people in there and they have a good culture and good motivation, they're, they're getting a lot more out of their staff and their staff is a lot happier uh, than, than they would have been in a traditional environment. So uh, we're just here at the end and uh, wanted to ask you uh, if people are interested in, in learning more about you or, or your company, how can they get in touch with you? Touch with you. Uh, it's at Shally S H A L L Y on Twitter, and I believe if you Google the Sourcing Institute, it should come up. Our website, the short URL for our website is TTSRI. TTSRI.com will take you to the Sourcing Institute. So if you just type in TTSRI dot com into your browser, it'll redirect you to the Sourcing Institute website where, you know, there's a lot of information about uh, myself and my Sounds like it should be a lot of great information from what you've told us today. Uh, Shelly, thank you so much for being our guest on the on the Talent Talk radio show. It was a pleasure having you, and hopefully you'll come back uh, again and give us an update and some more information on, about your great company. Would love to if you'll have me. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Jerry Justice is coming up next after we take a quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. And now back with Chris and his next guest. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. In the short time the show has existed, we've already amassed a huge following on iTunes and podcasts and Android and, of course, our live listeners. So thank you. My next guest is Jerry Justice, founder and CEO of the Aspirations Institute. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Jerry by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Well, let's uh, go ahead and move on. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. 
So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, of course, your company, the Aspirations Institute. Sure. I uh, largely provide management consulting services to a wide variety of organizations. They can be anything from a startup uh, company to a multinational conglomerate, uh, even nonprofit organizations. And it varies. The types of services that I provide can be anything from SEC-related uh, type of things to IPOs mm-hmm. to mergers and acquisitions, those kinds of things. Uh, as you mentioned, I am the CEO and founder of the Aspirations Institute, which is an educational and training company based here in Newport Beach. And we uh, have a faculty of senior-level executives that provide training on leadership, personal growth and development, careers, uh, technical training, uh, things of that nature. We even have um, programs for nonprofit foundations and churches. Uh, I'm also the COO of the AS Group uh, LLC, which is a management consulting firm based here. And um, we provide uh, some of our consulting services through that organization. The uh, I, I really enjoy what I do because it, it all comes down to helping other people, and that that it it doesn't matter whether it's an organization that's trying to solve a business or leadership issue, mm-hmm. or people that want to grow personally, or even nonprofits that are trying to solve things that are unique to that environment. Right. So you're really seeing your own personal satisfaction to, to helping your clients and being able to help them with their goals or, or whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, whether it's kind of being through personal, professional, and an organization's growth, you know, what sort of measuring tools are generally used for people to see that growth is really occurring within their organization the way that they want? Sure. There's, uh, there's a lot of different metrics you can use, whether you're trying to measure leadership or personal growth in an individual uh, contributor or in the organization itself. But I think that the most important thing for people to understand is that their best benchmark is themselves. Rather than comparing themselves to other people, because we all have a different starting point. We all have different places where we began, the resources that are available to us. We all learn at a different pace. We all grow at a different pace. And the most meaningful is to ask yourself, am I better than I was yesterday? Am I a better leader? Mm-hmm. Am I a better individual contributor? Am I better in my personal relationships, better as a person? And constantly looking only at yourself. Because if you don't, you end up getting frustrated. There's always going to be people that are better, but you hope that you're always better than most people that are out there. Uh, That's a really interesting point. I mean, not to bring in an entire political conversation, but if you look at education, that's one thing that generally teachers are talking about. And then you have non-teachers that are saying, well, how how do we gauge everyone? How do we judge everyone based on this sort of generic scale or how do they? But really, it's about their individual growth. Absolutely. Teachers are really trying to get, how do you get student A to be? better than they were last year right not is this class better than last class that's correct you know and i it's funny how it's interesting to hear you say that from within uh, what you're doing because that that's really really important it's a huge mindset for whether whether you're wherever you're in the organization but i think especially for people in leadership roles to be able to 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 really uh use that metric of how am i growing how am i getting better instead of Comparing themselves, right? Because we could say, well, how am I doing compared to Richard Branson? Well, not so well, right? Right, right. <laughs> That's exactly it. There's always going to be people that are out there that will be a role model to you, and you can certainly gain mm-hmm. inspiration from them, but you need to be measuring your growth against yourself. Right. Mentors versus you know, actual yes. comparisons. Right. So you mentioned the, the, the AS Group earlier, uh, and I think you read that the goal is really to help businesses optimize their performance and decision makings to help them kind of streamline their overall business operations. Is that Kind of a fair assessment. Yes. So I think you could probably include looking at talent and and how talent really needs to be within the company. Can can you maybe talk a little bit about what advice you give to companies? You know, are looking at their talent needs and and how they might you know utilize both from an internal standpoint and recruiting standpoint to really have the right people in their key positions. Sure. I, mean, I think I think it all starts with hiring well, right? So the key is getting the right people into the right positions, and, and that's done at the initial interview. Um, you have to uh, think about people uh, will only flourish in those roles where they're really enjoying what they're doing and that they're passionate about it. Uh, I had a CFO that I respect tremendously one time tell me that his whole goal in hiring was to hire the best and the brightest in their respective fields and then get the hell out of their way and let them do what they do, <laughs> right. right? But it takes a confident leader to get to that point. It takes somebody who can step back and say, you know what, I'm going to surround myself by people who are smarter than me, and then I'm going to let them do what they do. And, and they realize that it not only makes them look good, it makes that person look good. It makes the organization look good, and it helps them get to the to the goals that they're trying to get to. Uh, I think you also have to provide uh, people with opportunities to grow and to be challenged. So sometimes that means cross-training, doing a job different than themselves. 
giving them opportunities to lead. You know, if there's a special project coming up, to give them an opportunity, if there may not be a leader in the traditional sense normally, to step up and lead that project, to lead that special initiative. And then, as I mentioned, the cross-training, because it not only benefits the organization, but it benefits that person. And then you cover things as simple as somebody going on vacation or needing a leave of absence, all the way to just growing and and experiencing other jobs that they may not have otherwise. Mm -hmm. You bring up a great point, because... We've had those situations in our own organization where I've asked someone to go research something, and then I've said, "Okay, well, you're going to lead the call. You're going to do it." And they go, "This, you know, a little of, bit of panic, little panic, <laughs> and look of horror, the, the big swallow." But they usually end up uh, doing pretty well. Yes, you know, they within their own comfort zone, and and as long as you're not throwing them into something that's just they're not prepared for, they can't handle it. If you ask them to go and do some work and then you know, lead a discussion, usually they can come out of it pretty good. Right. They have the tools, they have the knowledge, right? You're not asking them to suddenly, okay, here, go run the company today. Right, and, right. and, and most people welcome that, right? They want right. an opportunity to try to step up and do something bigger than what they've done before. Yeah. Now, something I didn't know, I guess we you, you were, you've previously been on the board of directors for Working Wardrobes. Yes. And I'm, I'm currently uh, on that board now. Uh, kind of an interesting... Uh, tidbit we didn't know coming in for today so you know someone that kind of makes a living encouraging people to to do their best and for those that haven't heard we've talked about working wardrobes a few times on the show and kind of giving people a hand up instead of a handout is it's kind of the best way we like to describe it but you know what sort of insights can you share for any of our listeners that maybe find themselves wanting to be identified as a talented and valuable individual as they look for their next opportunity. What what are some of those things that they need to do to really shine? Well, I mentioned that one of the things that uh, the Aspirations Institute does is a career training. And, and the thing, the two of the things I think that are critical to this, this question, uh, one is a job interview is a two-way discussion. It is an interview. And, and I tell people, think about it like a first date, because you really are trying to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Not only is that organization trying to figure out, do you have the qualifications that they need, and are you uh, what they're looking for? But you, too, are looking to say, is this a person that I want to work with every day? Is this a culture that I want to operate within? Does it have the things that I'm looking for to uh, fulfill my career goals and objectives? Um, I think that the other thing to make someone stand out, uh, it's not enough anymore to hand someone a resume that has a list of you know your previous employers, the jobs that you held, and your responsibilities. It's not even enough to say, these are the achievements that I made when I was in those roles. I think right. you have to make a direct connection between what you've done and what your potential is to the organization that is thinking about hiring you and what their needs are today and saying, I'm the most valuable candidate that you're looking at, and these are the reasons why. That's what makes you stand out because you're addressing their immediate need. Yeah, we, 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 we certainly have talked to our clients and, and companies before about one little problem that people have, I think, sometimes in hiring is they will go with the person who is the most personable and not necessarily the one who's the most qualified. True. It's the one who they sort of get along with the best, right? And True. so it's sometimes really difficult for those people who aren't naturally charismatic to really find the best job, especially if companies aren't looking for the people who are the best overall. Right, right. You know, you're hiring someone and, and just pick a job. I could say accountant. My apologies to accountants out there, but <laughs> they don't need to be super charismatic. They're not selling Right, they don't need to be. They're on the phone with customer service, I and mean, that may not be a position that you would categorize as typically charismatic. But yet, you could be hiring the most charismatic person from an interview standpoint, and they may not be the best person. Right. And so, we've seen the best organizations really identify what are those strengths. What does that person need to have from a strength standpoint before walking in the door? Yes. Uh, I've given this is almost the same speech for people I know that continually date really stupid people you know it's like write down what is really important to you ahead of time before you meet them and suddenly fall in love right so you're not blubbering all over yourself right. <laughs> and be like well they seem really really great but you know they have all these problems you kind of identify what's important to you ahead of time sure maybe both from the candidate side and from the employer side you might have a better better chance of finding the right connection right i think when, it, when the job interview is over if it's been a successful discussion it feels right And the funny thing is, you've rarely talked about money at that point. You've rarely Mm -hmm. talked about benefits at that point. You might not have even gotten real deep into the specifics of the job because it was that first date. It was that checking each other out, so to Mm -hmm. speak, where you're just just looking to see, you know, is this a a potential fit for us? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, you know, and it really was meant in the context of selling, but I think it really works well for applicants, is that let the other person decide when it's time to talk business. Yes. Go as long as they want to go talking about everything else. If they want to talk for 30 minutes or an hour about you and never bring up the actual job or the actual what the money's going to be and all that stuff, 
that's a fantastic opportunity to connect and to be able to talk about something else. When they're ready, they'll, they'll start talking about it. You know, the funny thing about that, Chris, is I've had, uh, I've had interviews that were over dinner. And the co- the topic of the com- of the company and the topic of the job never came up in mm-hmm. a two to three hour dinner because it was all about establishing rapport and just getting to know each other and figuring out do you have what it takes and the interesting thing is that the interview started before I ever got there right, right? and people don't always realize that that inter- you're always on interview and you have to be on when 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 they're talking to you and recognizing it's all part of that same question they're, right. they're looking to see are you someone that fits. So when you think of all maybe the kind of key influencers that you've had personally in your life, are, are there maybe one or two people that maybe stand out as the most influential in your own personal talent development? Well, I th- I'm lucky to say, and I think many people that have been around as, as long as I have at this, uh, you have a lot of people in your life that influence you tremendously at different points in your life. Um, in the last several years, I would say the key one probably has been John Maxwell, the prolific author and, and leadership expert. Um, I have a very close kinship with his philosophy. There's there's two uh, ideas that he promotes. One is everything begins and fall, everything rises and falls with the leadership, mm-hmm. and I think that's true. I think if you look at anything that is going on inside an organization, good and bad, it comes back to that, right? I mean, it's always going to. And, and I don't mean only the most senior level necessarily, but levels of all throughout the whole uh, right. organization. Uh, and then that the other is that the very reason that we exist is to add value pe- to other people's lives, mm-hmm. and that's very much the philosophy that I've tried to live my own life by, whether it's professionally or personally. And, and so I, I feel a close kinship to John for that. Do you feel that maybe you changed as a leader over time? I mean, through his influence or others, you know, and maybe if so, you can kind of maybe talk us through what kind of brought about those changes? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I view leadership just like education. It's a lifelong journey. It's a process. And every single year I change in some way. Um, there's a lot of things that bring about that change. Um, but uh, I would say that um, my, uh, my clients have brought about change. I think simple uh, life maturity does that. The experience of being given higher and higher levels of challenges to take on, uh, all of those kinds of things um, end up causing change in your leadership style and uh, travel has been another one. I've talked to people about travel before and, and I've uh, at last count traveled to 45 countries and 49 states. I've seen a lot of different kinds of people, mm-hmm. cultures, languages and everything. And uh, what I realized is that no matter how many flavors of people that there are, it all boils down to we all have the same basic wants and needs in our lives. It doesn't matter where we are, socioeconomically or geographically, but those same basic needs are met on some level. We need those same things. It's amazing how much travel can really get you to understand how different, how much complexity there is to all these different places, which I think gives you an appreciation for why people have different perspectives, why people have think about things differently in of a different course. way. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you realize that down at the very, very core that we're all very much the same. Yes. There's a certain level of humanity, a certain level of things that we all share that can connect us as well. Uh, and I think that usually some of the best leaders that are people who are, are looking to kind of develop within a company to become leaders, travel's a big part of it. Sure. Uh, and, and the other thing that good leaders realize is that you celebrate those differences, but at the same time you recognize that what makes them makes everyone unique are also the things that motivate them and, and challenge them and keep them moving. Mm-hmm. And so you have to manage individuals. You don't manage teams. You don't manage companies in the sense of at some point it's an individual. It's a one-on-one level. Right. And, you know, that's typically why you want to see a small number of direct reports, for example, because you want to have that one-on-one connection where you can truly make a difference with that person. So you mentioned earlier about, you know, changing. Do you ever feel like you have to watch that you're not changing too much within a given period of time? Um, I think I stay pretty well grounded because mm-hmm. there, there's enough to keep moving. Um, it's that back to that central core of just wanting to add value to other people that always brings mm-hmm. me back. It sets my goals. It sets the goals for the, the organizations that I'm involved with. Um, at the end of the day, when a client approaches me with something, and, and almost every client has a unique set of circumstances and, and challenges, I always think, what can I do that will help this situation? And I think mm-hmm. that having that guiding force keeps me grounded in that way. Well, I just wonder, because it sounds like you work with a lot of different people, so you're getting exposure and you're getting uh, really maybe possibly influenced by other great people. And that's my, I wouldn't call it a problem, but my experience that being kind of in this environment with a radio show and talking to people, there's almost, you can, I can do too many things. And if I don't prioritize them and say, okay, here are the really important things I think we should implement. This is a great suggestion. We can almost get too many on the list and start to get too frenzied, right? 
we are changing too too fast. Right, right, um, right. It, so. it, I don't I don't ever live the same day twice. So every every day is different for me, and it's mm-hmm. not unusual for me to think my day is going to go one way and to get a phone call that somebody needs something. And mm-hmm. um, for me, that's perfect because it always brings me back to that central core. They need me at that moment to solve something for them, whether it's personal or professional, mm-hmm. something that their corporation is going through, and that keeps me grounded because it reminds me that's why everything I do is what I do is it comes back to, at the end of the day, it's just to help that person or to help that organization. Right. Well, one of our favorite questions to answer on the, or not answer, to, to ask on this radio show is, what are you reading right now? So uh, it's it's a book called The Resilient Life by Gordon McDonald, and it was recommended to me by a great friend. I'm really glad that he recommended it because it is a, it's a, it's a great book. But it basically the premise of the book is about resilience in our lives, right? So it's getting up every time we fall down. It's running the race when we don't think we have another step left in us. It's it's keep on uh, keeping our eyes on that goal and, and continuing to pursue that no matter what obstacles come up against us. And uh, certainly, Gordon McDonald is a is a man with a tremendous heart that uh, really has the experience to write that book, and, and it's just full of practical advice that uh, that helps in in uh, life's journey. It's been a, a very inspirational book for me. Sounds like a, a good read. Yes, you mentioned kind of coming into some situations for your clients where maybe they're really needing you, uh, or needing your advice, and you're, you're sort of coming into these opportune times. So, how do you encourage others who either work for you or you're working with to really develop themselves uh, to, to be the best that they can be? Um, I encourage people to become the very best versions of themselves. And whatever that means for them, um, I think that um, you have to spend time doing the things that you're the most passionate about if you really want to have a, ha- a happy life and not fall into the rut of, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to come home, watch TV, eat, go to bed, and start all over again tomorrow. Life has got to be about more than that. Uh, and I think that that gets to uh, what we what we're passionate about. Uh, I think it's never stop learning and growing. It's always, whether you're taking courses or just learning uh, from life experience or learning on the job, uh, learn other jobs in the organization. Take a, uh, I mentioned before, taking initiative to lead special projects. Find a mentor that you can look up to and that you can grow from or be a mentor. A lot of people uh, have asked me in, in the last couple of years, how in the world do I establish a relationship to become a mentor? How does that just happen? And right. uh, it's a very, very fun uh, process. It's a, it's one I learn more by being a mentor than I do by being mentored. Uh, and it's typical of the educational process, right? Mm-hmm. You learn more from your students than, than uh, you do uh, in teaching them. And lastly, I encourage people to get involved with nonprofit organizations. Uh, yes, it helps that organization. It gives back to the community, but it helps you individually as well because it broadens your experience, what you uh, learn about how organizations operate. You learn to operate on very limited resources when you operate in that environment, uh, and it keeps your perspective in check. It keeps you grounded on what's important in life, and it gives you that spice so that your day doesn't fall into that same routine every single day. You can look forward to something different. So, so would, the, would finding a mentor kind of be the, the key thing that you might suggest for, for one of our listeners who's maybe you know n- newly in an organization or looking to kind of work their way up um, to maybe get the most out of themselves? Would that be the kind of the primary thing, or would you suggest something else as more of a to really work on their own development? I think uh, finding a mentor can be a great uh, benefit. Uh, you need to find someone who is really willing to make the commitment and spend that time with you and, and uh, invest in you. But, yeah, it's absolutely critical because it, it will help you not only in your path through the organization but in your professional and personal growth as well. You mentioned earlier about really kind of loving what you do or, or, or really making that a part of what you're doing, but how important do you think that is for, for the leaders in the organization? For me, loving what I do is what motivates me every day. I think that the people that love what they do are passionate about what they do. Um, leaders, uh, do, you, do you have to uh, love what you do to be a leader? No, of course not. Not all leaders love what they do. I think the most effective leaders do, though. Mm-hmm. I think the ones that are really passionate about their people, about developing them, about helping them to grow personally and professionally, not just what they're going to get out of them for the organization, but really taking an investment in them on a personal level. Those are the people that are really going to be effective leaders. Right. One, one question we, we sometimes have time to a- ask our, our guests, and hopefully we can uh, do that with you here today, is, is there a painful lesson that maybe you, you learned in your career that maybe you could share with us and and what you learned from that? I would say the most challenging situation I've run into in my career uh, has been a couple of organizations that asked me to compromise my ethics. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it literally came down to me choosing between my integrity and that, that job. And um, for whatever uh, has come out of that, I chose my integrity. Yeah. And I left those organizations. And uh, I learned tremendously from that because my integrity is not for sale. And I think that taking that position has actually benefited me in the long run because the organizations that came in behind them recognized that in me and it immediately established trust with them. They knew that I I was very serious about that and I wasn't going to do something that I I felt to be illegal or unethical. Right. Uh, And and, uh, I I grew from it, but I think that people who dealt with me uh, learned a lesson as well from it in dealing with me and that knowing that's not an option with me. Yeah, I think people forget what an powerful thing of saying no to someone can be yes and it's really difficult sometimes at that moment there may be money involved there may be you know potential for your career but if ultimately you're not comfortable in doing it whether it's ethical or whether it's just not something you want to do you're not passionate about saying no can really be difficult that moment but has such a huge positive thing going forward sure and and chris at the end of the day i have to survive with the man in the mirror right so it's mine it's my integrity it's my self-esteem uh, my self worth and my reputation is not worth that. I, I won't. Uh, I won't play those games for clients if they yeah. if they they either play by the rules or they play with someone else. So, how can people uh, reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about you and your company? Sure. So, both organizations have extensive websites. They can reach uh, AS Group at asgroup-llc.com. They can reach the Aspirations Institute at www.theaspirationsinstitute.com. Uh, I author a daily blog called TAI Motivational Moments, and you can get a free subscription to that on the Institute's website. Uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn, or they can follow the Institute on Twitter or Facebook, or they can simply uh, shoot me an email at jerry at theaspirationsinstitute.com, all one word. So if you can't find Jerry after all that, then you don't have any hope. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my guest today. I uh, really appreciated uh, you being here and, and giving us your insight, and would love to have you back uh, another day. Uh, to continue the conversation. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. That's about all the time we have today. Thanks you. Thanks again to my special guests, Shelly Steckrell and Jerry Justice. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2, to hear Laura Zander, CEO of Jimmy Beans Wool, and Joey Price, CEO of Jumpstart HR. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to People G2's version of Talent Talk, brought to you each and every week right here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.